Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. Hi, Andrew. How are you? You're a rush, isn't it? I know. I feel like this week everything decided to happen at once with all the changes in the government. Yeah. Look, the closing the loop stuff, it's interesting, isn't it? how what seems to be a small wave gradually grows. Only two or three of the things really will have quite significant effects. A lot of it is procedural. And look, as I know I keep saying, beware of chicken little. There's a lot of noise out there, but suddenly they've gone quiet on closing the loop and focused on yeah, the right to disconnect. Yeah, only focus on right to And yet the closing the loop stuff is the big stuff, the right to disconnect. Yeah, it's actually not that big a deal, and yet everyone is freaking out about it. No, it's nonsense. I, I think there's sort of a, a gaggle of lawyers out there who actually put their finger in the, the electricity socket every time they see something and start screaming. Yeah. Or it's like a big red panic button. It's like, can I <laughs> panic? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe people will ring us <laughs> if I panic. Uh, look, Katrina, and for the people who've said, look, would it be good if we did the major topic first and then went on to the others? Can we get some feedback from people? Just send us in some emails what you think. We've had, I guess, over the last two years, a lot of feedback saying we'd like Can the cases first. first. Yeah. And we like to do the case study when we've heard everything and we like the big topic just before the case study. So we've got a bit of a pattern, but there's people raising questions, which we love, and we'd love your feedback. Let's just jump into it. So let's go first <laughs> into the ACT amendments. The ACTU government's a very small place, the ACT, really, so they move quite quickly. ACT, not ACTU. Yeah, ACT, <laughs> sorry. I've introduced some changes to the WHS, which are mostly go to penalties, mm. okay? So they've increased industrial manslaughter from 18 to $20 million, which lines up the number of other states, sorry, from 15 to $18 million. They've maintained their 20-year jail terms. Yeah. They've looked at reckless endangerment and they've moved that from three to... Uh, to 10 million. To 10 million. But this is another state that's yeah. also done that. Yeah, I think when we're looking like at Victoria, change. these are the sort of changes. They've gone individual punishment from reckless to 300 to sort of one. Yeah. And they've moved jail from five to 10 years. They all sound big things. And we've spoken before about the Victorian changes. We're going to see those changes around reckless endangerment. But I think what is the most interesting... And the biggest thing for a prosecutor is they're allowed you when there is a intention element, like in reckless endangerment or hindering a worksafe inspector or the chemical provisions, that you can attribute different parts of the mental element to different people in an organisation. So Nina knows that the way we're treating someone is bad. Nina is one director on an organisation. She knows that, but the directors as a group don't know it. I know that there is behaviour that sits outside which I'm not happy about. Neither of us alone would create a basis for reckless endangerment. But the dual knowledge of us does create institutional knowledge, even though we Mm. haven't spoken about it. And that's how the law is going to change. So it's taking the next step, really. Yeah, it makes it much easier. It gets around the problems with reckless endangerment, which is almost impossible to successfully prosecute and allows different parts of that mental element to be held by different people. Just like hindering WorkSafe inspector, Nina might be the supervisor who says, look, you can't come in. But it might be me who's told Nina to say, make it a bit difficult for them. I can move people off site. She doesn't know what I'm doing, but the effect is that it hinders WorkSafe. So the two people can have the intention to hinder, even though Nina never had it, but she took the action, which shows the intention was executed. Does that Mm. make sense? I think that's what we'll see in Victoria. 
And oh, I think that's why I'm excited. Excited. Yes, excited. Yes. That's why I think this provision opens a door on what the Victorian changes will be like. And what we're going to see across Australia is particularly the difficulty in prosecuting reckless endangerment and the high threshold test that sits in industrial manslaughter is going to be eroded by collective behaviours. Yeah. That's my view. Anyway, I think it's a really interesting thing to do. I want to get on to Simons and Jaco. This has a whole lot of facts around it. Yeah. But I, I think what I want to say to you is this is a case that speaks to the issues of psychological risk. And I think it also shows that when you use reasonable management action as a sword to try and prevent a claim, a psychological claim, how badly it goes if you don't stick to the rules around what is a procedurally fair and just process. And then you're mm. probably better across the facts than me. That's sort of yeah. my information. But this one was, it was so silly. So the employee filed a workers' comp claim because of various different incidents over two years, so things like... He was required to undertake management duties like supervision and terminating employee, which he said was quite stressful. He was treated differently from two other managers. There was a meeting where they said that his communication style was too aggressive and he said he was bullied, all these different things. And he said collectively that led to him feeling unsafe. Can I just say something, but it is interesting because these are the, there's four psychological yeah. things. The way work is done, the allocation of duties, the lack of social justice, mm. the failure to actually properly respond yeah. to him bad issues of concern, they are all psychological hazards. Yeah. And here's a case that deals with it directly and says, and then move on to what they did after. Oh, yeah. So they ignored it all and was just like, no, he filed this because of that one meeting and that was reasonable management action because we were confronting him about his issues. But it wasn't reasonable at all because... They didn't really specify what the complaints were. They just said you've acted inappropriately but didn't say what it was. And he had no option to respond. So even though they failed firstly on limiting what they were addressing, there also was no reasonableness to the reasonable yeah. management so action. So remember, reasonable management action, particularly in the workers' comp fairy land and workers' compensation, <laughs> means that the rules of procedural fairness in any process, even though it's not strictly a rule, that exists in workplace law must be honoured perfectly and people must be supported in that process. Now, they didn't get into this here, but if you're going to confront someone in workers' comp land, you make sure they have a support person. You make sure they're properly notified of the purpose of the meeting, what is going to be discussed. It's not workplace law. This is workers' compensation law, which... But all of this is required under workplace law anyway. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's anyway. Oh. Now, let's go to Healy and the Wage Inspectorate because here's another crazy, crazy, crazy set of facts of a person who I want you to listen to Nina's facts in this case because what's fascinating about this case is here is a person who gradually through their own behaviour became incapable of returning to work, raising numerous complaints around stresses, making serial workers' compensation claims and refusing to participate in an investigation program, which we, we see a lot of people putting in a certificate. This is, this is mad behaviour because you put in a certificate back come to work and you don't end up getting paid. This is not a clever thing to do. But he thought the workers' compensation system would cover him through this period, and it did to his great success. But the problem was he didn't come back for 18 months and was never able to participate in the investigation program and looked like never would be able to. So, Nina, just in short... 
crazy facts. Yeah. Is still in force. Basically, he fought a whole. I think he said that there was aggressive behaviour and he was adversely treated in three sorts of times during his employment. He filed one workers' compensation claim and they followed the process, they agreed to all of that and everything. But then what happened was he posted inappropriate Twitter. What are they called? Twitter comments? Comments, posts. Posts, yeah. yeah and I can help you with the new yeah, technology. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm not a Post where he was criticising LNP and that's a breach of the code of conduct for the state government. So they invited him to a disciplinary meeting to respond to it and he said, no, nah, I'm stressed, put in a medical certificate and then put in various medical certificates for 18 months. Including demanding a mediation yeah. is the only appropriate method he, to resolve. Yeah, he literally said, <laughs> I will only return to work, and this is what his medical certificate said, if you will enter into a mediation with me and that you'll remove my boss so I don't have to work with him. What? Anyway. It's nothing to do with the post. And I can't believe they allowed it to continue for 18 months. And look, what ultimately came out of it is, which wasn't the question to be tried, I might add, but is this person will never be able to return to work, so he's not fit for the inherent, not really what ought to have been found. But nonetheless, it was found. And as Nina said, this is something that should have been addressed earlier. This should have been dealt with under inherent requirements. His claim that was accepted should have been terminated. There was a number of actions that should have happened if it was dealt with properly. It wasn't. Yeah, they and went then, to a show cause and terminated him. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. Anyway, interesting case. Synergy scaffolding. We've talked about before synergy, mm. synergy scaffolding. This is a case where there was a massive fine, went to Court of Appeal. $1.3 million. Yeah, and this was for Against the labour hire company. Oh, sorry, against the host I'm, employer. And yeah. I guess that's the big issue. This is a guy who fell through a void. Wasn't no, no, no. The scaffolding fell on top of him. Sorry, I got the wrong yeah. <laughs> Ignore what I just said then, can you? <laughs> yeah, so he was a labour hire employee and his employer was DJSS and he was primarily working with Synergy and because they had management and control over the site and they failed to do exclusion zones and to give him directions to not go into that area, when the scaffolding fell on him, they were issued with a $1.3 million in damages and nothing was attributable to the employer. So they yeah. appealed saying that's not fair. Some of it should be attributed to the employer because they've got a duty of care and the court agreed with that and said, yes, there's a non-delegable duty of care. So said that they were responsible for 900000 in damages but said that there was nothing that they could minus from what Synergy owed because they were trying to claim that the workers' compensation payments he'd already gotten should have reduced their fine. Yeah. And, sorry, their payment damages. And the court said, no, that's notoriously hard to prove that point and they haven't discharged the owner. So tough luck, basically. Yeah, tough luck. Anyway, I got the wrong case. It was a case last week about <laughs> the appeal court in the void. Andrews, Andrews got lost in the long grass. Sorry about that. <laughs> I want to talk to you next about a CSL case. So the CSL um, has had protracted bargaining. There was 10 meetings for the generalist site, which is the serum laboratory that was going on. And what's happened is two things. One, some crazy union stuff, which I'll come to at the end. But can I just say, when you're having problems with your workers, the idea is not to try and litigate it to win. It is the dumbest thing you will ever do in your life. And very costly. Because the issue is how do I get my people to vote something up? And beating angry workers who are happy just to continue to agitate the issue. Now, the fact is they're not getting an improvement in wages and conditions. You've got great leverage. 
What happened in CSL was workers put up a picket. Fair Work Commission doesn't require admissible evidence like a court does, but it does weigh the quality of the evidence. And what was presented is an argument that one contractor couldn't get on site because of the picket. And the court just rubbed its head and said, well, that was third party evidence that came through an HR. There was no direct evidence. The real evidence, which is the video claim, showed the picket was not intruding. And not only that, there was no evidence that the picket was placing an overwhelming pressure. It was, you know, was in any way a breach, it was a bad faith breach. And they just looked at, you know, the commissioner looked and said, why are we here? Well, they could only be beaten by the union itself, who equally stupid. And, and can I just say, these are the opportunities you want to grab. The Australian, that's a part of the Murdoch press, was provided with an early document that showed that on one site, where enterprise bargaining hadn't started, there was a deliberate desire to move people off to reduce their benefit. There was no evidence but a newspaper article and the union ran that as an argument saying there should be interim orders to stop the negotiation process at that process. How dumb can you get? And again, that commissioner was rolling around laughing on the floor and saying, why are we here? But CSL has missed all these opportunities to go, how do I engage with my people? They're not getting paid more. Surely I could be getting close to them. Surely I could be doing the things that would bring them with them rather than having frivolous and foolish fights in a court Mm. that they had to lose. Yeah. So whatever the strategy was, it was based on let's go and lose. Wow. Okay, the next case is about abandonment. This is um, Wan Wu Shin's case. I just want to say abandonment is a repudiation argument. You're saying that a person evinces intention to no longer be bound by their contract by failure to attend work or by leaving work. You know, yeah. Anna cracks it with me and mm. goes, that's it, I've had it. Yeah. Then doesn't contact us for two or three days. We try to contact her. She doesn't get to it. But anything like Nina saying, I'm just really angry. Yeah, or I'm leaving to, for the day. I'm leaving for the day. It's not in bad. Breach. And it's a legal definition. Like all the stuff Andrew said, it's a legal definition. You can't just use the plain English meaning, yeah. <laughs> which is what a lot of people so try to do. So that's why abandonment, you know, the three days absence that used to sit under enterprise agreement has oh, been yeah. scrapped by the Fair Work Commission. It's why when someone goes on leave and stays overseas for an extra week when they shouldn't stay over that time but has problems with travel, that's not abandonment. If they show an intention to come back, maybe misconduct, yeah. different issue. I think like a, a clear example where we can show there is abandonment is when we have labour hire employees who have absconded, that is abandonment because they've completely left, they're never coming back. They're not to, that's that's right. like a clear example. Now, when they go to jail for a substantial period, that's actually frustration. Yeah, contact. that's something different. So that's termination as a matter of law. It's not a repudiation. The person didn't want to go to jail, they end up in jail, which prevented them from carrying out their work. And there's got to be more than just one week that they're being remanded. It's a substantial jail period, okay? So frustration and abandonment different. I'm not going to get into one word, Shin, because it's another case where nobody ran the right argument. Yeah, because they were away for like 12 months. Because of caring caring for their kid. And 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 they were sick. So they were engaging with employees. There's no way it was an abandonment. And the court, again, again, a case that was run... Yeah, I don't know why. I guess it should have been a inherent requirements case, yeah, basically. Yeah. Anyway, so let's now go on to the major topic because it is a really big issue this week. Can we just say now the right to disconnect is not a big issue? No, yeah. So, Nina, really just go matter. through very simply what it says and what is the obligation and what is the solution. Yeah, so all it means is that 
an employee does not have to monitor or respond to contact by an employer or third parties related to the business or related to work during out-of-work hours. If it's unreasonable. Yeah, but there's no obligation that no one else can, like, do the con. It's just that they don't have to. Like, if they elect to, they can. As long as their election is reasonable. No, no, as in I'm saying that they can choose to look at it if they want. Yeah. There's nothing stopping them from taking that initiative if they want to. And as to the unreasonableness, it will look at, you know, what is the nature of their duties, how senior they are, how reasonable the request is, if they're in the middle of, like, family and caring responsibilities and how much but they're let's paid. Let's come back to the beginning, though. So I try to reach you <coughs> and you decide you just switch off your work phone at the moment you leave work. You're a lawyer. You know that we've got industrial action going. You can't just refuse to look at it. No, because I know all of that, so it would be unreasonable. That's right. So that's it's an emergency. Want, it's urgent. Yeah. yeah. So what I want you to understand is the issue here is reasonableness. And therefore, the way that you deal with your staff is make sure they understand what a reasonable execution of their duties yeah. look like. And we're really only talking about people who... Like who senior people. Senior people. And so, like, it's easy. And also, I don't think it changes the status quo because I don't think junior employees who I think this is targeted, this is not happening to them. So this new right... I don't think it's going to impact them. And the people who are normally contacted out of work would already be reasonably compensated for it, which is what the legislation provides And so for. that really brings us to the answer, which is one of part is about communication about what is reasonable. That's when you employ people. That's in the employment contract. That is a policy, the out-of-hours work policy, which deals with misconduct out of work, which is to work. also regular communication about expectations. Yeah. Which is things that you should be doing anyway. Anyway, so look, the other thing it does do, though, is create a workplace yes, right, right, which means you can have a general protections claim very quickly. If Only if you ad- adversely treat them as a result. So yeah. you fire them because they didn't answer and it was an unreasonable request. All right, let's get a move on because it's a, that's a nonsense. That yeah, it, it's, do, it's honestly not going to make a huge difference. Can I say there is a there is a process that Nina and I have. So if you, have contra- if you want to know how to deal with this and you don't, not quite sure how to do it yourself, just give us a call. You're not going to get charged. We'll tell you what you need to do. If you want us to fix it and update your policy and contract so that fixes it, absolutely, we're happy to do it, okay? But the real issue for you is around communication. Mm. Let's talk about closing the loop because we're running out of time rapidly today. So, so can I just talk, you know, the casual employment contract is now going to be looked at on the basis of the nature of the work that you do, not on the contract. Yeah, well, both. Both, yeah. yeah. it's looked up at both. Now they've removed completely the right for an employee to request to become casual. Mm. Instead, once they meet either the six months or 12 months, depending on whether it's small business or not, an employee can decide, look, I think based on the nature of my employment, I think I actually would be a permanent and they can raise it that way. Yes. It's not a request. So if an employee now wants to stay as casual forever, they have that right to do so. Which is good. Isn't yeah. It? But the employer still has to, at that six and 12 month months, still offer them the right of casual conversion. It's just not the request part is gone. Yeah. You now also have to issue that casual information statement every 12 months now, not just at the start of employment. So it is an interesting shift and I think we're going way back to looking at the substantive part of the relationship but it'll be interesting and we're seeing that certainly when we're looking at contractors because mm. jam second personnel gone now yeah and one july they're gone yeah and we look at the 
how it fits as a whole rather than the contract. So the contract's still important because it's a factor in the, the group, but they will be looking forward to how people work yeah. rather than how you engage them. So Yeah, that's formally in the Fair Work Act now as a definition for employee. There is an opt-out notice, which is interesting. So Only for contractors who get more than the high income threshold, though. Yeah, okay. So, look, sham contracting, that's a change a much easier way of proving it moves from you having to be reckless with sham contracting to face the criminal prosecution to if you had a reasonable belief you can be prosecuted. So um, it lowers the threshold. Yeah. Rights of entry around underpayment, you can get a Fair Work Commission waiver to go in in less than 24 hours. Yeah, because for everything else, they now have to give you 24 hours notice. Yeah. Unfair contracts and independent contractors, that gives a Fair Work Commission an opportunity to actually intervene with your underneath the high income threshold you can go off the fair work commission to get an order can't you yes that's right yeah and look what i think we'll do because we're so short of time is we're going to send this out to everybody as a notation so you know at a high level what the changes are you okay with that Nana? Yeah, I, yeah i think it's too much to go through today and we have quite a substantial problem to deal with as well so let's go on to the case study because it was a big one today yeah, you made it very long. So I'm sorry, let's go on to that. January had been a tough time for Burger Brilliant, a wholesale meat processing burger plant in Coburg, Victoria. Swelling rumours about a buyout from their competitor have left their operations manager, Ken, and CFO, Gene, at loggerheads over improving EBIT yeah. over the next six months to enhance the buyout figure based on improved future maintainable profits. This meant shelving the two new lines that Ken needed for the productivity projections to make sales expectations for 23, 24 and beyond. It led to an internecine. Yeah, I just I had to put that in for you. Oh my gosh. Well, I've got that primarily from Gene. <laughs> this is bullying because you never witness you repeatedly doing this. <laughs> but in defending yourself, sometimes Ken to the owner, Raphael, salespeople, and anyone who could pressure the result. On Friday, 12th of January 2024, Gene sent an email CC into the owner doing a brief analysis of the already approved CapEx for the new lines to Ken, showing the hit in profits of the next six months and what a flawed strategy it was, while simultaneously pointing to excessive plan maintenance and downtime keeping existing lines afloat. For Ken, this was a lose-lose. He had to keep current lines going, but it was aged clunky capital that was on maintenance life support. He couldn't keep up with demand. He needed the new lines and he won approval for that in December 2023 against Jean's remonstrations. Now, she was seeking to unscramble the egg and put the blame on Ken. Ken's life was a mess. His wife had left him in July 2023 and he had primary care of two teenage kids. He was taking antidepressant medication to deal with the loss and work had been held. More specifically, Jean had been held. She had waged a nasty war against him, undermining him to the owner and indiscreetly sharing information about his relationship failure and diagnosis. She had seen his certificates from his doctor when he took time off in September. Gosh, she's nosy. When Ken saw the email, it was the last straw. He got up, left his desk and walked to his car. As he went in to get his car, the owner, Raphael, asked where he was going and if he was all right. Ken said, I just can't take this anymore. He switched his mobile off, waited at home for the kids and then told them he needed a break for a few days. They were excited and packed, happy for a brief holiday with their dad, who they love so much. Later that night, he sent an email to Raphael explaining what was happening with Jean, attaching a copy of a ream of Jean's inappropriate messages and texts and said, I just can't take it. I'm taking the kids for a short break. He told Raphael he was switching off and disconnecting for a few days. Raphael went to his lawyers at the big end of town. Sorry, this is sorry. This is <laughs> they said he had abandoned his appointment and arranged the letters to be served upon Ken, saying he'd been rained absent for three days without an reasonable excuse. He would be taken to have abandoned his employment. Process service served him in his driveway as he was driving off and he tore up the letter. 
Oh, what is it? And then I'll let the registered post, which he collected upon his return five days later, saying, as we have not heard from you for three working days since our original letter, BB accepts your repudiation of employment by abandonment. You have clearly evinced an intention to no longer be bound by your contract of employment with BB, tearing up our first letter and failing to respond as required. All right, now that was a lot. So oh did question, did Ken abandon his employment? Absolutely not because he... He made it clear it was short break. Yeah, so that's that got that done. We've got we're getting back on time. Does Ken have a good unfair dismissal claim? Absolute yeah. winner. Yeah. There's no valid reason. No valid reason. We no don't even procedural get to, fairness. There's just nothing at all. <laughs> Does Ken have a good general protections? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They know about his mental health issues. Yeah, that we had a workplace right in relation to the bullying he was clearly having. Everything He had about. a right to take the time off as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe not. But anyway, it was in Does Ken have a good yes, good discrimination claim? Absolutely. Going back, I feel like that the right to disconnect would have played in because it was outside of work. Oh, look, don't make things hard. <laughs> okay, did Raphael, who knew Jean's, oh, sorry, did have a good workers' comp claim? 100%. Yeah. Okay, did Raphael, who knew Jean's behaviour and his past impact, Jean and BB have problems under safety law? Boy, did Jean have some problems under safety law. Her behaviour goes more than Section 25 breach or you know, failing to take reasonable care. It's sort of up at reckless endangerment. Raphael's knowledge it puts him at risk mm. and the organisation. So the answer is they all have really significant problems. Yeah. The advantage for them is Ken didn't suffer a major mental health breakdown. Not yet. Not yet, but just say he did, then there would be a prosecution. Has yeah. Gene breached any privacy obligations yes. in Victoria and New South Wales and Queensland health privacy legislation in all other states. There's different legislation, including national privacy legislation, but in Victoria it's a big breach and would be a penalty. I think it's breach everywhere because it's they were allowed to collect but it, but she's using it for a purpose not for which it was collected. Oh, totally. But in Victoria the health, the health records legislation is actually strongly chaired and people are prosecuted, as distinct mm. from every other state, which looks to normal privacy commissioners who are a bit more recumbent and less aggressive. Mm. But can I just say to you, after the change that occurred later this year, Jane would be in lots of trouble and so yeah. would the organisation be. Jane was screwed. So, look, the reason we did that is I wanted to show you what abandonment looks like, okay, because it is a term that is constantly used, constantly misused and not understand. If anyone during a period of departing a business because they're angry like Ken or being away for an excessive period indicates that they do continue to be at work or they do want to be at work. It may be misconduct what occurred and it may be serious misconduct, but it's not abandonment of employment, okay? All right. Well, look, I know we really rushed. <laughs> Bye. Gee, we'll get the closing loop stuff out to you with our next email so that you've actually got it and you know what it is. Don't worry about the right to disconnect, please. No, but ring Nina or I or Kim or Chewy on it and we'll take you through what you've got to do. But it's easy, it's not frightening. And we'll be back at the same time next week. Yeah, give us See a thumbs See you later. Up. And Bye. tell us what you feel, by the way. Tell us what you feel about the structure of our, uh, of our briefing. Bye. Yeah. Thumbs up. <laughs>